check one, checking on the wheels of steel. Which one should this be, the third one, Steve? Cool. All right, so last week we had a chance to look at the nature of God, specifically Jesus and the deity of Christ. And I talked a little bit about uh, the nature of man, that man is sinful, that we are born sinners. We inherited our sinful nature from Adam and Eve, that everyone is lost and born in sin, and that there is no hope for man outside of God, mankind. When I say man, I mean mankind, man and woman. And so, on the heels of that, what I'd like to do, and remember the preface of what I shared last week was, why do you believe what you believe? And you need to know why you believe what you believe. It's not important just to know what you believe, but why you believe it. Because when you're challenged with something else that someone else believes, you've got to know why you believe what you believe so that you can share the truth in them. And it's not your opinion versus their opinion. And it's not your feelings versus somebody else's feelings. It's the truth of the word. And so we talked about God's word. And God's word is what separates everything. You don't judge God's word as if it is true. God's word judges you. And so ultimately, if you don't believe that this is God's word, I said, get convinced. Because if you're not convinced that this is God's word, then you will judge it. And so we don't come to the Bible to determine whether something we believe is true. The Bible reveals to us that which is true. Okay? So all of those foundations are very, very important. Today, we're going to look at soteriology. First of all, who can tell me or define soteriology? I'll wait. Mark. It is. Study of salvation. Okay. Yeah, soteriology. So I'm going to read you a paragraph. We're going to go into some questions. So it is a a dynamic where you 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 get to share. We don't want one person to bullguard the mic, right, in sharing. Because then it just, everyone else gets like, there's that smart guy again or that lady that just knows all the answers. Wish she'd let somebody else share. We'll kind of go around. And then we're going to end up going to some scriptures because we're going to have a... A dynamic at the end, if you will. Okay, so let me read you the first paragraph. Soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation. Soteriology discusses how Christ's death secures the salvation of those who believe. It helps us to understand the doctrines of redemption, justification, sanctification, propitiation, and and the substitutionary atonement. Um, So. Let me have you define these as best as you can. Who knows what the doctrine of redemption teaches or what is the doctrine of redemption? Forgiveness of sin. For sure, forgiveness of sin is included in there. It's like, it's like the green stamps where you buy back. So anybody remember back in the days when we had Coke bottles and we would be able to take them to the store? Today they have uh, plastic water bottles, right? You go to Costco... And the water, you can get 24 bottles of water, 16 ounces. Are they 16 ounces? Yeah. The, the drinking ones? Yeah, 16 ounces. And you'll pay uh, for 24 of those things, you'll only pay like $2.50. Yeah. 
but you'll end up paying $4.99 for the whole thing. Why? There's a redemption value. Redeem, the doctrine of redemption. In other words, you give them back, or not Costco specifically, but a redeeming place, right? You give them back that bottle, and they're going to give you something in return. They're buying it back. So the doctrine of redemption is we've been bought back. Where have we been bought back from? The devil, sin, the slave market. We're, we're slaves. So we will either be, according to Romans, a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. Right? Bob, was that a name? Um, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil. Bob Dylan. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Okay? That's his, Bob Dylan, in, in one of his songs. Good song. Very <laughs> biblical. Okay? Whether you like Bob Dylan or not. All right, so that's the doctrine of redemption. We've been bought back. So now the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin are no longer affecting us. The presence of sin only in heaven. So we've been redeemed, but not fully, right? Because in heaven... The, the presence of sin is gone. But the power of sin and the penalty of sin, we've been redeemed from that. Isn't that awesome? You've been redeemed. You've been bought back, bought out of the slave market. You are no longer, if you sin when I sin, it's because we want to. We don't have to because we've been delivered from the power of sin. That's awesome. But it just shows how bad we are. And how grateful we are to God because we do mess up. We do blow it. We do make mistakes. Every single one of us. And so for that, we're like, Lord, your grace is so good. Your kindness is so real. I see it, Lord, every day in my life. I want to try. I want to do it. I want to, oh, I wish I could be better. Sinner! It's just, oh, it's a struggle, right? Struggle's real. All right. Who can tell me what the doctrine of justification is? Kind of in a nutshell is justification. To be made right. right? All right. To be justified. So there's justice, right? We are made just or justified in the presence of God. And so the way they teach us is just as if you've never sinned. The doctrine of justification is just as if you've never sinned. Why? Because when God the Father sees you, he sees you through Christ. And he sees Christ's perfection when he sees you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the doctrine, doctrine of justification. It's just as if you've never sinned. Not just today, not just your past, but forever. The doctrine of justification. And then you have propitiation. Big word. Propitiation. Mark, you know this one. Okay, goes a little deeper than that. A substitutionary. Mm, uh, mm. Propitiation is. Uh, forgiveness? forgiveness is involved. That would be. Atonement. That would be the atonement. Brian, what is propitiation? The satisfaction of the wrath of a deity. And so God has every right being holy to judge sin. 
and no sin will ever enter into his presence. And so he is mad, angry at sin and its effects. And so propitiation meets the requirement that God's wrath, his anger, is poured out on sin. And so we will either stand before God one day and his wrath will be poured out on us or his wrath was poured out on the cross on his son on our behalf. Jesus met the propitiation of the Father. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus as he died on the cross. And in that moment, Jesus exclaims what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when the Father turned his back upon Jesus. When your sin, my sin, was carried on the cross, the Father could not look upon sin, turns away, and that's the wrath of God poured out on his Son on our behalf. The propitiation was met. So uh, that's what propitiation is, the doctrine of propitiation. So that's uh, that's redemption, justification. No, 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 no. Which one did we do? We did... Redemption, justification, propitiation. All right, sanctification. What is the doctrine of sanctification? Set apart. So sanctification means to be set apart. Sanctification has three parts. What three parts does sanctification have? Mark, you're raising your hand or scratching your eye? Okay. I'm taking it like a hand raising, bro. Time-wise, three forms of time. We're living in the present. There's the future and there's past. Sanctification is three parts. Oh, I gave you four. Whoa, whoa, I'm dyslexic with my counting. Whoa, or I don't know what that would be. I don't know how to count. Three parts. Past, present, future sanctification. We are sanctified from our past, meaning set apart. God forgave us and will never be held accountable for anything in past because we're forgiven future we're going to be sanctified to heaven ultimately present we're being set apart more and more set apart from the world set apart to god set apart sanctification okay so the doctrine of sanctification and that happens as we participate and cooperate with god the best way to have our faith grow is to sit under the word of god why romans 10 17 faith comes by hearing not by the word of god So our faith grows and develops, but not just knowledge, right? We talked about that two weeks ago. It's not just gaining an understanding of stuff. It's walking and practicing the truth, right? We don't want to deceive ourselves and know something and not walk in it. I think we use the example of cigarettes. You can know that smoking cigarettes is bad for you. All the while, you're smoking cigarettes. Well, you know it, but you're not walking in that truth. We need to walk in the truth of God's word that we know, and that's being set apart more and more. So little by little, the Lord is sanctifying us, the doctrine of sanctification. All right. Um, Is salvation by faith alone or by faith plus works? Based on what? Faith alone, says the peanut gallery. Based on what? That's a good thing, Not, not a bad thing. My peanut gallery there. Book of James. Book of James is going to be an opposite. So that's James. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. 
I remember that one. Okay, and we're going to get into that for sure. So believe it or not, there's a branch of Christianity that says it's faith plus something. Okay, Catholicism, it's faith plus works. Okay, yeah, we got we got good scriptures on both sides. So on the other end, there's some the Protestant, and that was the whole Reformation, right? Protestant Reformation was Luther. Yeah, I mean, the, well, just shall live by faith is how they got saved, but they started realizing that. But Luther is, is nailing the 95 Thesis to the door of the, what was it? The door of, uh, no, no, Wittenberg. It was, yeah. I don't know what it was. I, for, I forgot what it was. I said the church, but I don't think it was the church. It was, it was the leaders for sure. But whatever it was, it's in Wittenberg. Wittenberg is a city, though. Yeah, but it was, it, I'm just thinking of what the building was. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, who knows that scripture? Okay. Lest anyone should boast, right? So our boasting isn't in our works. We're not saved by our works. But the very next verse is going to tell us that we're saved for our works. Or four works. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Four good works that God prepared beforehand, right? Okay. So now, we believe, I believe that we're not saved by works. Again, there's other Christian groups that believe that it's faith plus something. Um. And I think the Bible makes a very strong argument for faith alone, grace alone, Jesus alone. And so we're going to hold to that. What, now we're turning the corner, what is repentance? Is it a work and is it required for salvation? That's where we're going to spend some time. What is repentance? Is it a work? And is it required for salvation? It's not required for salvation. We got to answer the first question first. What is it? So many understand the term repentance to mean a turning from sin. Regretting sin and turning from it is related to repentance, but it is not the precise meaning of the word. That's what my first paragraph here says. There you go. In the Bible, the word repent means to change one's Mind. If you read through the book of Acts over and over, you're going to see repentance come, come up. Repent and be baptized. Repent, repent, turn away. Confess, agree with God. There's a group of individuals in the book of Acts that are basically fighting God with Paul or Saul of Tarsus, right? And eventually the, the Peter is sharing a sermon and he shares... Turn away. Let's go to, there, there's a neat little section I want to go to. Go to John's gospel. Let me find it. No, 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 no. Go to Luke's gospel. 
the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to start at chapter 3, because I think this is a neat little section of Scripture. John the Baptist was no joke, right? I mean, he did not mince words, if you guys know anything about John the Baptist. So Luke chapter 3, uh, we're going to start at verse 8. Luke chapter 3. Well, we're opening the Bible and I didn't even pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can go to your word and that we can study your word. Lord, systematic theology, the system of being able to go through and see what the scriptures say about subjects. Thank you for that opportunity that we have, Lord, these 66 books. And so bless this time. Bless your word. Speak to us through it. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. Let's pick it up at verse, uh, let's start at 7. Jesus preaches people, right? John preaches to the people. Then he said to the multitude that came out, this is Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 7, to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Wow, those are kind of, is that a little different than how we talk to people today? Okay. In its context, in its context, because I do struggle with this, but in its context, the religious leaders and the people of the first century thought that they were right with God. And I think these harsh words had to be communicated with them to snap them out of their comfort. They didn't even know God. They were fighting against God. And I believe that our culture is getting very much like this. It's reaching the point where people think, I'm good. I don't need God. And so, hey, God loves you. Hey, God loves you. Yeah, I know he loves me. Thanks. Appreciate it. At some point, our culture is going to have to be preached to in a way that they, they, they accuse God. They they judge God, they, like the audacity of humanity to put God on trial? Really? Wow, we've come a long way. So John starts out with that, brood of vipers. Verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? Notice what he does, each group. He answered and said to them, who has two tunics? Let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. So he, he gives people who have wealth or two tunics, hey, share one, why do you have two? Then to the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. So you're stealing from people? Stop stealing from people. Just do your job. Verse 14, Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So stop being greedy and be careful with your authority. Don't punk people just because you're in a position of authority. Right Now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, 
and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. So he's not mincing words. Each group is asking him, what does repentance mean for us? What does it mean specifically to me? And he said, this is what it means for you. This is what it means for you. And this is what it means for you. And now they're wondering, man, is this the Messiah? This guy's speaking with some serious authority. And he says, no, 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 no. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he's going to separate the chaff from the wheat, the real from the outer skin, the layer of, of, of its useless outer layer is the definition of chaff. Useless outer layer. And so, does repentance sound important based on this section of scripture? Does it sound like it's, like it's well, it's kind of optional, right? We have the option. Some Christians are going to repent. Some maybe not. Does it sound optional? Doesn't sound optional to me. Some of you don't look convinced. Okay. Let's go to the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. My second favorite sermon in all of the Bible, Acts chapter 2. My first favorite sermon is Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. My second favorite is Acts chapter 2, Peter baptizing the Holy Spirit. Whoo! Man, the words he uses. Plays no game, holds no punches. So this is Peter in Acts chapter 2. Verse, notice verse 38. Or here, let's start up at verse 36. This is Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. Was repentance seem like an option there as he's sharing and tells them repent? As, as he says, and he tells them, he, he, I can see him pointing his finger, you crucified the Lord. You put him on the cross. He could be pointing to me. I put him on the cross, right? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Was it? it was us. Our sin put Jesus on the cross, right? And so he's holding back no words. All right. What I want to do, we're going to close with two big sections of Scripture. And we're going to just read it, and then if you have questions, we can talk about it. Romans chapter 4, and then we're going to go to James. Don mentioned James several times. Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 indict the whole world. Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 show that the whole world is is sinful. And just in case he left anybody out, by the time he gets to Romans chapter 3, he says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek after God. They have all gone astray. 
So just in case anybody like felt left out, right? So then he gets to Romans chapter 4, and now he's going to begin to go into the doctrine of salvation and justification and all of these things that we were looking at. Romans chapter 4. So he's going to use as exhibit A, Abraham, the father of the faith. So if we want to see how Abraham got to go to heaven, he's going to show that to us in Romans chapter 4. Okay? He's going to use David as well. Romans chapter 4 verse 1 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So the doctrine of justification, right? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Then notice what he says, something very interesting. Verse 4, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but his debt. What? And then look at the next verse. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So he's saying the very opposite of some who believe that it's you're saved by grace and something else. He's saying if you think that you can add to your salvation and you can work your way to heaven, the the works are actually counted as debt against you. They're not for you. But the person who doesn't work but simply believes, how do we define the word believe in the Bible? The Greek definition of the word believe. Very important, right? It's not mental assent. Trust in, rely upon, adhere to, cling to. Okay? It's a I'm in this. Our good example that I love to use is the, uh, the guy that's walking across the type, across, across. I'm like two years old right now. walking across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, right? And he walks across, and then he's like, how many of you believe I can walk back across? Yeah, we believe, we believe. He goes, all right, I'm going to push a wheelbarrow. How many of you believe that I can make it across pushing a wheelbarrow? We believe, we believe. He says, get in the wheelbarrow if you believe. (laughs) Whoa, that's a different belief, huh? Yeah, no, we believe, we believe. He's going to fall. We believe, right? Oh, get in the wheelbarrow. Ooh, how much do I believe? So the belief of the Bible is, it's a heart belief. It's, it's, I believe with everything in my being. I believe this to the core, to the center of who I am. And James will get into that a little. But that's a different level of belief than, well, you know, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. No, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And if nothing else is true in this world, I'll show you. I'll show you that I believe that. I'll live it out, right? Different level of belief. Going on in Romans chapter 4, he goes on in verse 6, just as David also described the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. This is after David's sin with Bathsheba, right? Verse 9, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Hmm. Now, while circum- now while circumcised, oh, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Thank you. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had 
while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed, placed into their account to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but, are all, but also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. And then he goes on in the rest of the chapter to basically just make his point. Okay, So we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Okay, Jump now on over with me to James, the epistle of James. Chapter 2. We're still on this idea of repentance, so don't lose sight of that. And what part does repentance play in salvation? We're studying the doctrine of soteriology. Doctrine of salvation. James is after the book of Hebrews. Santiago. Santiago. James. Chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up all the way down at verse 14. Because we have a different angle coming from James. Exactly what we just read. James seems to jump on the other side of this. And you guys are going to have to help me make sense of this. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith Save him. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart, peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Notice his example. Was not Abraham our father justified, whoa, justification right there, by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he is called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And then he uses Rahab as an example for the body, the, uh, verse 26, for the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What's the contrast that we're looking at between Paul writing to the church in Rome and James Writing here. Does it seem like we have opposite ends of a spectrum? Okay. Which one is practice? Good. So James is teaching, talking about practical Christianity. The practice of our faith what it looks like in the, to the naked eye. Faith is accompanied by works. 
Because faith without works, he's telling us, is dead. What is Paul then? If it's not practice, what is Paul then preaching, teaching in Romans? It's not practice. He's talking to a new believer. Okay. Okay. What do we call what he's saying? Positional. He's giving the position of the believer where James is preaching the practice of the believer. So not a contradiction. What is your position? What if you receive the Lord like my brother on his deathbed and one day later die? Well, he didn't have time to do works. Darn, darn, his faith must have been, oh man, must have been dead. What about the thief on the cross? How many works did he have time to do? He did do a work because he said, shut up, stupid. We deserve to be here. This guy's done nothing. I mean, there was a work there, but he didn't, you know, he didn't get to go to church and get baptized or do any of that, did he? Today, today you'll be in position. What was his position? Secured. Okay. A gift from God, a gift of grace. Okay. So positionally, we are secure in God. We receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Positionally, we are right with God. Perfect, holy, righteous, right? Practically, that's where the repentance comes in, okay? I've used this example, and I love it. If I, if I am in New York and I come to California, do I have to leave New York to come to California? Yes. By the nature of coming to California... I've left New York. Can I stay in New York and come to California? Repentance is New York. Jesus is California. If I come to Jesus, I've repented because I've left that old life. I've turned away from that. I turned my back on that mess. All that got me was junk. All that got me was misery. By the nature of coming to Jesus, I've repented. I'm acknowledging what God says about me, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm acknowledging that He is my Lord and Savior. I confess that with my mouth and believe that in my heart. The Bible says you will be saved, right? Romans 10. Okay? So repentance is not a work. Repentance is what God calls us to do as we come to Him. Say the same thing. Confess. To confess means to say the same thing as. We confess that Jesus is who he said he was, and by nature of repenting and confessing, we are turning to Jesus, turning away from our past, our old life, our sin. Amen? Amen. Questions, comments, concerns? I never know how these are going to go, because you know I'm trying to throw questions out so that I can bring you guys in. But if you guys are grappling with, I'm not sure about that, or I wonder if it's this or if it's this, that's good reason for you to dig deeper, right? Because we want you to know why you believe what you believe. Guys, you cannot believe things just simply because somebody you trust is saying them anymore. We're living in scary times. Scary times. And we'll hear very, very eloquent people teach and share, and then boom, they come with this hook, and you're like, what the, where did that come from? We got to know the truth to be able to discern the lies. Okay, itching ears. We live in a culture right now that has itching ears, and many people are coming by and they're scratching those itching ears. They're telling people what they want to hear. 
They're telling people what they want to hear. So we don't want to do that. We want to speak the truth in love. We want to let people know, right? So it's, a, it's an interesting time that we're living in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for salvation. We thank you for the gift that you extend to us. We thank you for the perfect sacrifice upon the cross. Lord, there's nothing that we can add to what you've done. To Talisti, it is finished, you declared, on the cross. And so, Lord, we receive that by faith, and we thank you for it. And, Lord, I pray that we would walk in the works that you have prepared for us before the foundations of the world for your glory. And just for gratitude, Lord, just to say thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen.